Well, good morning, and, and indeed, uh, a, a good Veterans Day to our veterans this week. Uh, we got to, um, got the privilege of being part of a, a service for a veteran this last Monday, and that's uh, a, a special, special time, and unfortunately not the first one that I've gotten to be a part of, but an incredible recognition for uh, the men and women that have, have served our country. So thank you so much for that. I also want to say thank you. Uh, many, many, many of you sent cards and things our way in, in honor of a Pastor Appreciation Month this last month, and I'm just so grateful for that. Um, it means the world to us. We are so excited, so glad that God placed us here with you guys. It's genuinely becoming family. We genuinely care about you individually and about your families. Um, it's, it's, it's been very rewarding, so thank you so much for that. We wanted to, to make sure that we get that out to you guys because uh, no better place to do it than, than right here. I do just want to mention just a couple things. Um, those of you interested in Poland, just know I've got that information with me here on Sunday mornings. If you need that still, love to give it to you. Uh, we are looking at some hopeful deadlines here in December so we can begin ordering those tickets when they, they go on sale. So just know that that's that. And then we're doing a luncheon upcoming here next week, not this week, but next week over at Forest Park. Tentative date is set. Right now, I've been told we need a couple more soups, um, a couple more soups, and then we need some funds to go and, and purchase the sandwiches for uh, that, that luncheon. So if you're able, there's envelopes uh, back at the Welcome Center. Um, you can do that, or if you'd like to prepare a soup for that, that luncheon, then please, please bring that in. Um, I'm excited because we've got the Christmas dinner coming up next Saturday. We'll start the Christmas series here in two weeks, two Sundays from today. will be December already. I know. Don't, 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 don't think of it that way. But yeah, that's reality. Um, and we'll be beginning the, 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 the Christmas season officially. It's exciting, but it's, it's very quickly, very quickly approaching. So don't forget about the Christmas Eve service. Um, the theme for this year's Christmas series, I will tell you that, it's wonder. Wonder. Think about that word between now and when we get started. Wonder. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. Let's, let's go Lord in prayer before we open his word this morning. Father God, as we study your word this morning, the words that Paul gives us are genuinely challenging. As much as the rest of the text we've studied is, is in contradiction to the ways of this world and our lifestyles and things of that nature, Father, this passage particularly drives it home, makes it very personal for each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we remember that our lives are a reflection of you. Our lives are a witness for you. Our lives are an opportunity to share your love with others and people are watching. And this passage relates directly to one of the things that they'll see the most, our families. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do love studying uh, the book of Ephesians with you. It has been a blast for sure. The question becomes on our end is how are these texts, how are these passages, how are Paul's words, how is the Spirit shaping you, molding you more into the likeness of Jesus as a result of studying them? How is your relationship with God growing and changing? How is your relationship with His Word growing and changing as you study it together? How is your relationship with your spouse, your family, becoming more like that which Jesus desires of you. I'll keep saying this. I'll say it all the time. We'll never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are today. Whether that's a husband, a father, a child, a wife, a grandparent, an employee, it doesn't matter. We'll never become who God wants us to be if we stay exactly how we are in this very moment. 
And what's really cool is when you share your feedback with us about how God is working on you, how he is using his word to grow and to develop you, not only is it an encouragement to us as a leadership of the church, but even just as importantly, it gives God a chance to reveal to us maybe some potential other areas that we ought to be discovering and investigating and studying together as the body of Christ. Things he might be leading us to study as a church. So please don't hesitate to share those things with any of the leadership. Feel free, email me. The email address is really easy as long as you spell my first name right. It's K-R-I-S. After that, it's at bccbrazil.org. It's the same as everything else on the church website. So it's a really simple thing. Next week is the last chapter of Ephesians. The last thing we'll be studying before we begin the Christmas, or well, we'll have a Thanksgiving message there in the middle, but then the Christmas Eve, the Christmas service is beginning after that, the series. And I love the opportunity to take anybody, really, but it's been a blessing to you to just sit down and walk through the text with you, studying it together. What we have is an incredible impact and what, or incredible opportunity. And what I want you to think of is this. I've, I mentioned this before, but the reality that we can gather together, that we can open God's word, that we can sit, study, learn, let, allow the Spirit to speak to us. The only difference would be is if, if our lives, lights were a little dimmer, we're in a little smaller confines, a few less of us probably, and we only had one text, as the original hearers would have. And somebody within that group was reading that text because probably most of the group couldn't read to begin with. And we studied it together. And in a small way, we kind of get to do that as we gather together. The difference being, of course, now we can all have the text in our very own hands. If you haven't turned to Ephesians chapter 5 yet, go right ahead and do that. We'll begin in verse 21 here in just a few moments. A reality that the original hearers never ever would have considered having a copy of the text in their own hands. We can now share these words this morning. We can reflect on them this afternoon. We can reflect on them alone. We can reflect them on them as Paul would have encouraged us together with groups of people groups of believers. The strength and unity that is formed when the Word of God is studied together is truly unbreakable. The community that God desires for us will be based around that love, that love for Him, that love for each other, that love for His Word. And then that love pours out of us so that we can experience the love of God together with each other. Now, throughout this book and in all of Paul's letters, really, there's a consistent message, the consistent message of Jesus. First and foremost in all of Paul's letters is always Jesus. Everything Paul shares directly is tied to the love and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And all that we do is in response to Jesus's great love for us. It's not to earn anything. It's not to gain anything. It is simply a response to the love that Jesus has already showed us. Throughout this new covenant or New Testament, as it's labeled, the authors are continually sharing with us how it is that Jesus wants us to live. How can we live out his love toward one another? How can we build his church into the community that he desires for us? Now, scholars have taken the New Testament apart, the original Greek, and they've looked at the words, and they've come up with more than 50, more than 50 pieces of advice that is written throughout the text of how we can love one another. Now, these are more than just pieces of advice. Consider them to be more than 50 ways in which you can respond directly to the love of Jesus toward others. 
I've actually included this in your bulletins this morning. I've also included a challenge on the back of your bulletins this morning for you to go through that list one by one and mark them in a certain way. I'll let you look at that and see what that is. There are only 38 on the list. There's a couple of reasons for that. Some of the one and others that are listed, the wording, the verbiage is what they looked for. And they didn't really pertain to actually loving one another. They were actually other interesting things. In reality, you actually have over 50 listed here because there are multiples of these that are repeated throughout the New Testament. And so the list comes down to about 38 that exist within that. And there could be one or two that are missing from this list. It's a, it is an extensive list. Jesus included these for lots of reasons. He included them because he didn't want us to miss it. He, he didn't want to just say, love one another. Okay, go figure out what that means. He said, love one another. And he says, oh, and here's how you do it. This list includes nearly every reference. So remember that. We're actually going to take a moment and read through these. That's why I also wanted you to have them in your hands. Take these. Use them as a reference, as a guide. Keep them with you as you consider how God is spurring you on to love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you, instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's an interesting to research if you have the time. When you come together, eat. Wait for one another. Have equal concern for one another. Serve one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We talked about that last week. In humility, consider one another, others better than yourselves. Do not lie to one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for one another. Encourage one another daily. Build one another up. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Confess to one another your sins. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Yes, when you're hosting the event you and volunteered to host, don't complain about hosting it. Yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about within the church, isn't he? Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Verse number 37, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then last and finally, love one another. Now love one another is repeated over and over and over and hopefully you've learned in our time together. If it is repeated in God's word, if God took the time to tell us over and over and over something, then it must be important. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It absolutely is important for sure. But in reality, all of the 50 plus mentions of all of the one another's are only examples of how to love. They're just specific examples. Jesus did not leave it to chance. He spelled it out for us because he knew we would need that. 
And one of the greatest ways that we can demonstrate that God is in control of our life, that we are beginning to mature spiritually, a lot of these can be overcome without a lot of spiritual growth. But there are some on this list that you cannot do if you are not growing spiritually, becoming a mature follower of Christ. If we've allowed the Spirit to take over, that we're beginning to develop the mind of Christ truly the number 37, the one we'll be sitting on today, chapter 5, verse 21 of the book of Ephesians, is something that you'll begin to see in your life. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's another level in the one another category. Submission. This is America, God. We don't submit. We don't back down. We, don't, we, we, we just don't. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's the difficulty here, isn't it? It's an opposition to everything the world, especially Western culture, teaches. But when we grow to have the mind of Christ, you see now you no longer insist on getting your own way. This form of submission is necessary in order to build the community that God desires for us. This community built on agape love, the highest form of love, unconditional love, the very love that God has for us. But why? Why does God call us to submit? It seems like maybe that wouldn't be necessary, right? How can he ask us to do such thing? And let's just be quite honest. What if I don't want to, God? Sorry, not who I am, not who you created me to be. Don't say that. Don't say that for sure. Especially, God, within the confines of marriage. Whoa, 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 hold on, God. You're taking your word now and you're entering into our house? Oh, wait, into our, whoa, into our most intimate relationship. Now, God, I don't know. I don't know about that. See, the world isn't very fond of this word at all. At all. All I can offer is this to begin with. It's an example that Paul gives us in his letter to the church in Philippi. I think this example is compelling enough for any argument that is presented in opposition to the biblical act of submission. It comes from Philippians chapter 2, and of course, it takes into consideration the life of Jesus. Beginning in verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then take or make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And here are the money verses number five. If in your relationship with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, it was the mindset of submission, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to, take it, take, to use to take his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He submitted. He took on the very nature of a servant. He submitted being made in human likeness and being found in appearance a man. He humbled himself. He submitted himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. <laughs> and Jesus made himself absolutely nothing. 
The creator of the universe made himself nothing. He chose to become a servant. He chose to be made in human likeness. He chose to humble himself. He chose to become obedient. He chose to die for me and for you. And he submitted himself to his own creation. But you see, Jesus chose to do that. So must we. You and I must choose. We're not forced. And anyway, no one forced Jesus to go through this. Submission is a choice. So as we dive into the remainder of this text, you have to always, always, always take the example of Jesus into consideration first. You cannot separate these two things. As a matter of fact, one can't exist without the other, truly. Many people like to take verse 22 of chapter 5 out of context. Out of the context which Paul is writing, many separate it from the example of Christ. This passage is not about power. It's not about exercising authority over or forcing people against their will to do anything. This passage is about reference for Christ. It's about following his example, which we just read. People love to get hung up on Ephesians chapter 5. Please don't. Instead, consider your personal role within this text, whether it's as a husband, as a wife, or as a child. And with that, we begin Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with, the word, with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You hear that a lot in weddings, but they often skip the beginning of this verse. This is a profound mystery. I'm not talking, but I'm talking about Christ. And the church. However, every one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect his husband, her husband. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let's start with the explanation. Notice again how Paul points everything he does back to who? Christ. This isn't void of Jesus. No, it's actually focused on him. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Here are the key concepts. The wife's role is not one that's forced upon her by her husband. No, she willingly chooses it. In fact, nowhere in Scripture, unlike Middle Eastern culture, nowhere in Scripture is the man authorized to force his wife into subjection. For the wife, this is an act of obedience to Jesus, not her husband. This isn't something earned from or required by her husband, as a matter of fact. The basis of this submission 
is the order which God has put into place everything within the family and even the world as he created it. The husband as the head, as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the leader, the spiritual leader of the church. He is the one to whom everyone is to submit to, to his authority and to his guidance. Also notice this, this is a limited submission. It's very similar to the submission that Christians are to have with the authority of the government as found in Romans 13 verse 1. This submission doesn't include anything that would lead to sin or anything in opposition to the will or teachings of Jesus. You see, remember, Paul is writing the book, the letter of Ephesians to whom? Christians. Believers. He is writing to Christian husbands and Christian wives. That is literally who this text was written to. We have to understand that. Both husband and wife are to be seeking God's will for their lives. Both are to be living out the 51 another's that we just read a few moments ago. Both individuals have claimed the love of Christ and have died to self, and their goal now is to seek the betterment of others. Love one another. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. If I truly love you, then I want what's best for you, not me. God's desire is for each of us, each of us, for this relationship to reflect the love of God. When you look at the husband's role, men, this is not an easy role for us to undertake. We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church and willingly gave himself up for her now, the reality is there's a lot of men in the room that would gladly give their life. They would die to save their wife. But if you looked at their daily life, you would never, ever, ever see that evidence. Because Christ probably isn't going to call you to physically die for your wife, though he might. But he absolutely is going to call you to die to self for your wife. We're to give up ourselves for our wives. We are to put her needs, her spiritual needs, her physical needs, her emotional needs ahead of our own. We're called to offer up everything, even our own lives, if it is necessary. And so the question becomes, men, what have we placed between ourselves and our wives? Is it our job? I can tell you at times for me, it absolutely can be. Is it your hobby, your recreational activity that you love so very much? So what little time you do have at home, you go there instead. Is it time with friends? Is it something more serious like an addiction? Is it the words that we use when talking with our wife? Is it the way that we treat her? Do you treat her as Christ treats the church? Do you love her the way that Christ loves the church? And I ask you, have you told her that? Have you shown her that you love her in that way? Do you daily lift her up before God as the gift that she is to you? I mean, if you're married and that's the way you treat your wife, do you think that she would have any problem offering herself up in a biblical way to your spiritual leadership? Women, if your husband loved you in this way, would the biblical act of submission to his spiritual leadership be a burden? Of course not. But once again, this isn't earned by the male. It's offered by the woman. 
But the reality, the responsibility falls upon our shoulders, men. We have to take the lead. If we are married and we have fallen short, which I know I have, we need to ask for forgiveness. First from God, then from our wives. And we get a chance to start over this very day. If you're not married yet, how are you preparing yourself to be a godly husband, men? How are you loving others the way that Christ loves you? What godly men do you look to as an example for the relationship that you ultimately long to have one day? See, the reality is, men, we're all going to fall short. But sometimes I think that's an excuse. <laughs> the question becomes, what are we falling short of? Are we falling short for the biblical example of manhood? Or are we settling for the world's example of manhood, which I contend actually doesn't even exist any longer? Of how a man or a husband should act, how a father should be a part of his kids' lives. Are we committed to being men of God, fighting to become more like Jesus, fighting for our marriage, fighting for our kids, loving our God, our wives, and our families is not a sign of weakness. In fact, it is the sign, the mark, the greatest mark of Jesus in a man's life. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And when you consider properly this biblical act of submission, not only is there no controversy surrounding it, there's actually a beauty to it that the world simply cannot understand. Because the beauty of this denial of self is the opposite of everything that the world stands for. Martin Luther, the famous, famous, famous Martin Luther, wrote these words which he thought should be engraved in every home let the wife make her husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Consider that. Consider that as we move forward. We shift gears in chapter 6. I really don't know why there's a break here. I always wonder why they put these things in where they did because really it's a continuation of the family and the family relationship. Paul writes these words in six chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may joy, enjoy a long life on this earth. You probably knew this, but did you realize that there are very, 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 very few passages in all of Scripture specifically directed toward kids? This, obviously, is one of them. Excuse me. Paul now doesn't just throw things out. He doesn't just say this thing for parents and for kids to hear. He actually gives it some, some reason, some, some, some things to stick to. He offers a compelling evidence for why this should happen. When children give their obedience to their parents, they're acting on the will of God. It is the will of God for kids to be obedient. It's right. It's a commandment carried over from the Old Testament, and it has a promise. Yes, a reward. See, God knows how kids work, doesn't he? He, he says, hey, if you do this, then this, just like we do. Hey, if you clean your room, you'll get to do this. Hey, if you, you get the picture. God knows. This is ancient advice, and it's absolutely as true today as it was when it was written. Not only does Scripture teach it, but Roman law agreed with the idea there is a duty for kids to obey their parents. Jesus even set the standards pretty high because he obeyed his parents, kids. <laughs> he had no reason to obey his parents. He was perfect. He knew the ways and the laws of the Lord so infinitely better than his parents ever could have, yet he submitted himself to the authority of his earthly parents. It's incredible what he did in Luke chapter 2. But kids, did you catch that reward? There's a prize, if you will. 
besides doing exactly what God wants you to do, which is obviously good enough, he promises you something in, in, in addition. This, is the on, this, isn't the, uh, this isn't the only, or this isn't the, just the first commandment, sorry, with a promise. This is the only one. There are no other commandments with a promise. He knows us better than we do. We know we should obey God, but he knows what's best for us. That should be reason enough. But how much more should we obey a command when God says, oh, and by the way, when you do it, here you get this too. It's an interesting, interesting dynamic. God does that with us in another area. Do you know what it is? Giving. It's another commandment with a promise, just throwing it out there. It's true. Paul's writing. Here's drawing from Deuteronomy 5.16. It appears this. It appears as if respectful and obedient children often become this, get this, productive and successful adults. Who knew? Who knew? It's all about attitude. It's all about work ethic. It's all about behavior. And if you as a child are willing to do what's right, then guess what? (laughs) There's a really good chance, not a guarantee, but a really good chance that you're going to continue that behavior as an adult. And it will pay off, probably literally. (laughs) But it goes on. You're not guaranteed a long life. It's not a promise. But being an obedient child does increase your chances. In fact, in the Old Testament, severely disobedient, extremely disobedient sons face severe, severe consequences. I'll let you read about them if you wish. As a child, this is an incredible way to learn what the biblical act of submission is, to learn the ways of the Lord, to show proper respect for authority, and ultimately to show God how much you love him, even as a child. Yes, all of this by simply obeying your parents. I love how Paul threw that in. Right in the middle of this relationship between a husband and wife, he says, and oh kids, you can make this relationship between husband and wife even better by obeying. Verse four, he ships back to dads. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, it is easy to get frustrated with our kids, isn't it? But I'm not gonna stop there. Mothers, it is easy to get frustrated with our kids, isn't it? Let's not, let's not pretend that this verse isn't as much for moms as it is for dads, okay? They don't always seem to do what we would like them to do, do they? Maybe. Maybe, maybe this. Maybe they don't always do it exactly the way we would like them to do it, right? Okay, how often do they actually do it when we want them to do it? Never, right? Okay, I get it. All right, you, you get the picture. But here's the thing is the spiritual leaders of the home We cannot let those things frustrate us. We cannot let those things anger us or cause us to treat our kids in a way that doesn't show them the love of Jesus. We have to teach them, yes. We have to show them, demonstrate for them, yes. And we must discipline them, but in a way that shows them the training and the instruction of the Lord. If we constantly lose our cool, if we are always becoming angry, if we are always losing our patience with our kids and they will not get to experience the love of God that we need to be showing them. Because you and I, just like our kids before God, mess up every single day and he's not right there shouting us down. He's not right there grounding us every five seconds. He's not right there in public screaming at us. He's not doing that is he. Does he discipline us? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, but in a very different way. We have to be thinking about that. Here's the reality. So many individuals grow up not wanting to be part of the church, not wanting to have a relationship with their heavenly father because of the person that is their earthly father. Men, let that not be said of us. 
rise above. Show our families the love of Jesus. Lastly, the last portion of text we'll cover today, these words are written from Paul to slaves and their masters. Now please note, there are a lot of people that like to take these passages out of context and claim that Paul is endorsing, okaying, approving of slavery and thus by means of Paul, God is approving of these things. That's not the case. <laughs> Paul is speaking directly to believers, remember, first and foremost. Some of these believers came to know Jesus, the loving grace of Jesus, while in bondage as slaves. Some of them came to know the love and grace of Jesus as slave owners, slave masters. It's estimated that as much as one-third of the population of the Roman world at this time was in slavery. To not write to this group of people would be to abandon a third of the population of the world. I think it's probably good that Paul addressed them. Even within this form of bondage, the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus can be expressed. The name of Jesus can be lifted high even within this kind of relationship. So listen to Paul's advice. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one, of, each one for whatever good they do whether they are slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. <laughs> Even in this situation, what's Paul do? He points it right back to Jesus. Obey as if you're obeying Christ, as if you are slaves of Christ, doing the will of God, not serving man, but serving the Lord. Now, some will take this passage and relate it to the modern-day relationship between employer an employee. And there are definitely some things that you can bring out of it. I don't believe that was Paul's original intent. He was writing to slaves and their masters. He was very clear about that. But there are some things that can be drawn out. If we took these words to heart, think of the impact that we would have on our boss. Think of the impact we could have on our coworkers, on the customers whom we're serving. If we serve wholeheartedly as if we're serving the Lord, not people, it doesn't matter how rude people are to us, does it? Elsewhere, Paul addresses this exact same group of people, slaves and masters. He writes it a little different. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. What great, great advice for us to follow today. Now, this text is not an easy one. The entire text of today shares with us God's guide to our relationships on earth. The most personal relationships we have with our spouse, with our kids, with our employers. And we don't like, we're Americans, we don't like people telling us what to do or how to do it. We want to do things our own way. And God's saying, okay, that's fine, but your way won't work. Here's how I designed it to work. Follow the example that I'm giving you. And oh, by the way, here's Jesus. He's going to show you how to act this out in real life. Our goal for each of these is simply to become more like Jesus. To create the community that God desires for us to have within the church, the community within our home, the love and affection within our home that God desires for all of us to have, to submit out of love for Jesus, to love our wives as Jesus loves the church. Men, if you're interested in that, I dare you to study further what that truly looks like and means. You'll be blown away. 
And when you put into action, so will your wife. Obey out of love for Jesus. To love our kids with the love of Jesus. To work as if working for Jesus. Paul is so clear. I pray that as a church we can be unified in these things. And if we're struggling, I pray that we seek help. Father God, this is not an easy passage. The world hates this passage. And the world hates this passage because Satan hates this passage. Because he knows. He knows that relationships that are formed in this way, relationships that are held together by your love, relationships where those involved all submit to you first and foremost, and then to one another second, those relationships can't be broken. Satan can't interfere with those relationships. Satan can't mess up those marriages. Satan can't destroy those kids because your love surrounds those people and it can overcome the darkness quite easily. Father, may our relationships begin to reflect that love. As men, may we become the men of God that you ask us to be, the leaders you ask us to be, the lovers you ask us to be of our kids, of our wives, of you. Let that be our mark. Father, as wives, let us help guide and direct, yes, but Father, let us encourage our husbands to become the men of God that you're seeking us to be. As kids, Father, listening, I just pray that uh, they study these words together with their parents. It's a challenge that we, we put in print for them to talk about this passage and what it looks like within a family so that the parents and kids are all on the same page and they understand. Father, most of all, if there's anyone here that has never surrendered to you, never submitted themselves to your love, to the sacrifice that you made for them, then I pray that a text like this can open their eyes to the reality of what you did for them so that they in turn can go and serve and love others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.